morning. It's good to be with you today. If you've got your Bible, we're going to begin in the book of Acts, chapter 1, here in just a moment. We're delighted to have you with us. We've got some guests with us, and we're very thankful you can be with us today. So we have said our race several times this morning. What a beautiful, beautiful day it is today. And what makes it so beautiful is not the outside, although that's spectacular, and we wish we could just put that in a bottle and bring it out in January. But what makes it so beautiful is what's inside. We've gathered together on the best day of the week to worship our Lord, a day that Jesus rose from the grave, a day that we come to remember, a day that we praise him, and a day that we honor him by worship him the way he wants to be. And so we are so thankful for all of us doing that. Glad, good to be back. I was at Mount Sterling, Kentucky last week in a meeting, and that area is just rich, rich in restoration history. I was in so many old dusty church buildings, I can't count, but it's just something I love so much, and it was wonderful. Somebody said, well, you're in heaven. I said, no, I'm in Kentucky, but <laughs> for some people, it's the same thing, but it's not. It's not. You know, one of the blessings that we have is a fellowship. We worship together, and that's powerful. And we got to do, several of us got together last night on a social occasion, and that also is powerful. Our togetherness means so much, and we need to take that very, very uh, thankfully as we think about the Lord. Well, last week, or the few days before that, there was a significant religious anniversary. And by and large, it has just been forgotten, and most people don't talk about it anymore. But on October 6, in 1536, a man by the name of William Tyndale was burned alive at the stake by the Catholic Church in England. His crime was heresy. What he did was take the Latin Bible and translate it into the English language. At that time, very few people in England could read Latin. And so no one knew what the Bible said. Many of the clergy had no idea because they couldn't even speak Latin. And so Tyndale's whole idea was, I'm going to have the boy who plows the field know more scripture than the Pope himself. Well, that agitated the government and the church, and so they burned him at the stake. And what's interesting, since that time, a lot of time has passed. Our Bibles are now in 717 known languages. That's applicable to 6 billion people on this planet can read the Bible in their own language. Today, the Bible's on our phone, our tablets, our computers. The Bible app YouVersion has been downloaded a half a billion times. And since Tyndale's time in 1536, we would think, especially in our land, we ought to know the Bible more than anything else. Researchers at Gallup Institute says Americans revere the Bible. They respect the Bible, but by and large, they don't read it. They said today, America has become a nation of biblical illiterates. And to illustrate that, they gave some statistics. Fewer than half of adults today can name the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. According to data from Barra Research, 60% of Americans cannot even name five of the Ten Commandments. 12% of the population believe Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. Another survey of graduating high school seniors revealed that 50% thought that Sodom and Gomorrah were two people that were married to each other. 64%, two out of three of Americans, did not know that Jesus descended from King David. 
Almost 40% think the entire Bible, including the Old Testament, was written several decades after Jesus' death, which makes you wonder about prophecy, which Larry talked about. 82% of Americans believe God helps those who help themselves is the Bible verse. And those who identify themselves as born-again Christians think the Bible teaches that the most important purpose in life is taking care of one of your family. Now, we might snicker at some of those results, but we need to ask ourselves, would we do any better with that? Ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance leads to error and speculation and going down the wrong road. And this morning what we want to do in the book of Acts chapter 1, we want to talk about a man who knew Jesus. He was right beside Jesus. He saw Jesus. He heard Jesus. And he had a man who was very, very different than Jesus was. When we think about the apostles, the one that gets the least attention is the man, Judas. And this morning we want to walk through some things in the book of Acts about Judas' life. Look at some things in his life that kind of help us understand some things in our own life as we look at this. The writer John MacArthur said this. He said, Judas is the most colossal failure in all human history. He committed the most horrible, heinous crime of any individual ever. He betrayed the perfect, sinless, holy son of God for a handful of money. He saw the miracles. He heard the very words. Here is a man who is as close to Jesus as you can get, yet his action shows as life was so unlike Jesus. And when we think about the apostles, we begin by understanding that Judas is the only apostle who is not from Galilee. He is from Judea. His very name Judas is a, is a form of the word Judah or Judea. And, and when we think about that, he, like the rest of the apostles, was chosen by Jesus. They left their occupations, whatever they were, and for three years they followed Jesus. They saw the power of God as demons fled, and storms stopped, and the dead were raised. They saw the kindness of Jesus as he fed the, the 5,000. They saw the compassion of Jesus as he helped the broken. They saw the zeal of God as he stood for what God was really about. And so with our Bibles now, let's begin in Acts chapter 1, and let's read this section here, and we're going to talk a little bit about the life of Judas. Acts chapter 1, we begin verse 15. It says, And at this time Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren, gathering about 120 persons as they were together, and said, Brethren, the Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was counted among us and received his portion in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the price of his wickedness. Falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. It became known to all who were living in Jerusalem that in their own language that this is field, a field of Hakadima, that is, the field of blood. For it's written in the book of Psalms, Let his homestead be made desolate, let no man dwell in it, and let his office be taken by another. It is therefore necessary that the men who accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and went out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these should become a witness of his resurrection. And they put forward two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, who is also Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, thou, thou Lord, who knowest the hearts of all men, show which one of these two thou hast chosen to occupy this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they drew the lots among them, and the lot fell to Matthias, 
and he was numbered among the 11 apostles. When we begin, first of all, in our lesson, we think about some things about Judas. We understand, first of all, that he was chosen by Jesus. Judas did not choose Jesus. Jesus chose him. There was no openings. There was no help wanted sign. There was no submitting your resume. There was no interviews. There was no um, auditions. Jesus handpicked each of the apostles based upon what he knew in them. And in Acts chapter 1 and verse 17, which we read, it says that he was counted among them. Other translations simply says he was one of us. He was one of us. When we think about the word apostle, found eight times in the Gospels that referred to Judas. The number 12, referring to the apostles, is used 30 times in the Gospels, referring to Judas. Judas was one of them. Judas was among them. Each time we read about the apostles, the gathering of those disciples, Judas is with them. But now I want you to turn in your Bible now to John chapter 12. In John chapter 12, let's read something else here again. It shows us a little insight into this man Judas. John chapter 12, and we begin at verse 1. John chapter 12, verse 1. Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus has raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving, but Lazarus was one of them reclining at the table with him. Mary, therefore, took a pound of very costly, genuine spikenard ointment and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair and the house filled with the fragrance of the ointment. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, whom he intended to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor people? He said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And he had money box, and he used to pilfer what was put into it. Jesus therefore said, let her alone, in order that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me with you. Judas says, let's sell this, but the Bible says he was not concerned about the poor. He didn't care about the poor. But we notice Jesus does. We notice the compassion of Jesus. Several times in our Gospels, he would look at the multitudes and his heart would be moved with compassion as he saw them and saw the conditions that they were in. For instance, in the book of Matthew, if you will, Matthew chapter 9, and when you look at verse 36, we see an illustration of this. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36, seeing the multitude, he felt compassion for them, for they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. Here's Judas, but he doesn't care about the poor people. And the passage tells us why, because he was a thief. Can you imagine stealing from Jesus? It would be like a parent going in there and robbing his kid's own piggy bank. Can you imagine that? How low can you get to steal from Jesus? And in Matthew chapter 26, when we think about the betrayal taking place, we understand that it was not the Jewish hierarchy. It was not the Romans who came to Judas. Judas went to them. Matthew 26, verse 14, Judas is a carrot, went to the chief priest and said, what will you give me? If I betray him, what do I get? And again, just showing his attitude was all about self, all about money. How interesting what a contrast this is when Jesus would say in Matthew 16, what does it profit if you gain the whole world 
and forfeit your own soul. He heard those words. Here was somebody who was chosen by Jesus, but he wasn't very close to Jesus. Here was someone else who Jesus washed his feet, but he couldn't wash his heart. If you've got your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 13. Let's just pull out through these verses here. This is the occasion that takes place here. John chapter 13, when the disciples are gathered in the upper room, and Jesus is going to demonstrate the idea of being a servant. Begin in verse 3, it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and he had come forth from God and was going to God, he says he rises from the supper, lays aside his garment, taking a towel, girded about himself, and he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel which was girded. And Judas is there. Down in verse 12 now. And so when he washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table, he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for I am. If I, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should also do as I did. He was not talking about washing feet specifically, but serving. I came from heaven, and I didn't act like the king of England, where he said, now, serve me, get out of my way, here comes somebody important. No, I took that old towel, I got down on my knee, and you put your dirty foot right on my knee, and I washed those toes. Even Judas. And then he says, do you get the point? And Judas never got the point. Judas never served. Here was someone, as our Acts 1 passage tells us, who became a guide to the enemy. He became a guide to the enemy. Number three, Judas kissed Jesus in betrayal, but not in praise. And again, we look in the book of Matthew, chapter 27, that brings this out. In Matthew, chapter 27, as Judas is coming with all the Roman soldiers, it says in verse 27 of Matthew, chapter 26, as Judas is arriving upon the scene there, it says in verse 27, it says, let me grab this real fast here, excuse me. Yeah. One more time here. Okay. There we go. And while he's still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, came up, accompanied with a great multitude, with swords and clubs from the chief priests and elders of the people, who was betraying him and gave him a sign, whomever I kiss, this is the one, seize him. Now, what we don't find Judas ever saying in the Gospels is, my Lord, my God. What we don't see Judas saying is, I bow my heart before you. What we don't find Judas ever saying is, thank you for coming to do what you're going to do. No, what he did, as Acts chapter 1 tells us, is he turned aside. He turned aside. He didn't follow God as God wanted him to do. And then finally, as we think about Judas, he went to his own place, but not to God's place. His own place was a place, not his house. That's not what it's talking about. He went to a a realm of, of shame and sorrow and guilt. When we think about the name Judas today, it's not a happy thought that comes to our mind. We think of someone who let the Lord down. And what God had in mind for him to do would be like the other apostles, was to go into all the world and preach the gospel. What a place he went to. A place of destruction.
Now, from that, I want to share with you four simple lessons. Number one, association with the godly only helps you if you allow it to reach your heart. And the Bible speaks of this in a lot of different ways. In the book of Proverbs, in chapter 13, he who walks with a wise man will be wise. The idea is you're learning something from them. You're paying attention to them. The apostle would say in 1 Corinthians 11, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Look at what I'm doing. Look at what I'm saying. In Philippians 4, the things you've heard and seen and, and been and taught by me, practice those things, he says. Philippians would say it this way. That you prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Now you stop and think about this. You think about that Judas, so close to Jesus. Where's Jesus now? Well, he went up there to pray. Here's a storm. We're so scared, and Jesus calms the storm. There is a problem. And Jesus solves it. Here's a demon, and Jesus casts it out. The best example, the best teacher, the best person ever to walk on this planet. And Judas didn't get it. Now you think about us. So many of us have had godly examples in our lives. Grandma and grandpa, mom and dad, husbands, wives always had their Bibles open, would not put a piece of food in their mouth without first bowing and thanking the Lord in the prayer. Always at services, always thinking about what's right, always thinking about others. All these godly examples right now in this building. But does it help? You see, Judas was right beside Jesus, but it didn't change him. How many of us can be right beside a godly person, but does it change us? And what about us? What is the difference? What is the difference between a person who doesn't want to hear Jesus and a Judas who heard, but he wasn't changed? What's the difference? What's the difference between the person who won't stand up for Jesus and a person like Judas who betrays Jesus? What's the difference between a person who never goes to worship and a person who does, but is none the better? What is the difference between the person who never reads the Bible and a person who reads the Bible but doesn't change by it? What's the difference between someone who is lost and the Christian who lives like the world? You see, we had Judas right beside Jesus, and it didn't change him. How many of us are right beside a godly example, week after week, but does it change us? That's the lesson we need to think about this. A second lesson here. And that is, some decisions cannot be changed just because you wish they could. And that shows us the gravity of decisions. That tells us how important it is to make the wise decisions. And we see this particularly in Matthew 27 about Judas. It says, then when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned. And you might stop there and say, well, isn't that what he was trying to do? I believe in a lot of ways he thought Jesus would get out. On one occasion, they took Jesus to a cliff to throw him over, but he got out of that. On another occasion, they gathered rocks to throw at Jesus. Somehow, he got out of that. I wonder if, in Judas's mind, if he thought, okay, we'll do this little thing here. I'll give him some money, and he always gets out. He'll get out this time. But this time, he didn't. They came, and they arrested him, and they took him away. 
And notice what Matthew tells us here. It tells us that Judas felt remorse. He understood what he did was wrong. He felt the guilt. Not only that, he confessed his sin. I have sinned. He recognized that. And more than that, he brought about repentance in the sense that he returned the money. I don't want this money. It's blood money. I should not have done this. He returned the money. But even with all that, it did not stop Jesus from being crucified. And that's the point I want to see. Sometimes you and I make a decision. Sometimes we do something in haste. We don't think it out. And we think, well, if I just say I'm sorry, everything goes back to normal. It doesn't go back to normal. Judas was sorry. Judas returned the money. Judas felt guilt. Judas confessed. And yet Jesus still was crucified. And sometimes we need to see how serious that is. And that leads us to understand there's a difference between forgiveness and consequences. God may forgive you of your sin, but there may be consequences of your decision. If you decide to go and get drunk, which you should never do, and drive that car, you may kill somebody. And you may feel sorry about that. But that person now is dead. You may get married in haste. And a year after your marriage, said, you know what? I wish I hadn't got married. So I want to just walk away from this marriage. God has laws about marriage. And you just can't do that. And so we can make a decision and we can say, you know what, I'm sorry, I'm going to pray to God for forgiveness, but there still comes consequences. Some of us who lived an immoral life for years and years are realizing that. Maybe the drugs you took have affected you. Maybe your health isn't the way it should have been because of the alcohol you drank. You can get forgiveness, but those consequences come with you. And so Judas made a lesson, he learned a lesson that forgiveness and consequences are not the same thing. How serious a lesson we need to see from that. And when we talk about Judas, it's only right and proper that we bring up this subject, and that is the subject of suicide. Suicide is a serious, serious choice that some people make, and it's never the right answer. Matthew 27, verse 5 says that Judas went out and he hung himself. Our passage here in Acts chapter 1 tells that Judas fell headlong, and his bowels gushed out. And you might say, well, what, how does that fit together? I think what happened was Judas hung, and nobody wanted him. The disciples didn't want him. He's a betrayer. The Jews don't care about him. The Romans certainly don't care about him. So he just hung there until he rotted, and he fell forth, and his guts came out. What a terrible, terrible end that is. And what it reminds us of is that suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Problems come and go. Now you stop and think about this. And you may have to be real hard to think about this. Five years ago, five years ago, just about everybody in this room had something that's going through your mind in your own way, your own family that bothered you. But that's past, isn't it? You got through that problem. Things have moved on. i got new problems today. And that's the way problems are. They come, they go, we solve them. They, they're not that big or they are big and we can deal with them, whatever they are. And once we go through that door of death, the problems stay here. Suicide is a permanent solution 
to a problem that's only temporary. Every 11 seconds, you think about how long I've been preaching already. Every 11 seconds, somebody in this country takes their life. Between ages 15 and 24, it's the third leading cause of death in America. It's not a death by disease. It's not a death by an accident. It's a death by their own choosing. And what we need to appreciate is that suicide never solves anything. What suicide does is it kicks the problems to someone else. Someone else has to deal with the problems now, not that person. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 4, says a live dog is better than a dead lion. Lion may be fierce. Lion may be king of the jungle. But if that lion is dead, he's nothing to be afraid of anymore. A live dog is better than a dead lion. You got problems? Things aren't going well in your life? Reach out to one of the shepherds. Reach out to one of the preachers. Sit down and let's pray about it. Let's seek what God says about it. But thinking that, you know what, it's not worth going on is never the right thought to have. And then finally, he never realized that Jesus would have forgiven him. We remember Peter, who denied the Lord three times. There's not a big difference between denying and betraying. They're, they're pretty similar. Judas did it one time. Peter did it three times. Yet Peter was forgiven by God, went on to serve God, and became mighty in the kingdom. The apostle Paul killed Christians, and yet he was forgiven by God. I believe that God would have forgiven Judas, forgiven him for his stealing, forgiven him for his heart that wasn't right, forgiven him for betraying, but without forgiveness, hopelessness, shame, sorrow, and guilt, take a person to a place where even they think God will not forgive them. In the book of 1 Corinthians, if you will turn with me in chapter 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the apostle gives us this Beautiful picture of changed lives. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Do you not know the unrighteous do not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived that neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, homosexuals, thieves, covetous, nor drunkards shall revilers or swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Now can you imagine we would never ever do this because we'd be embarrassed beyond all shame. But can you imagine we start right here with a piece of paper, write down the sins in your life before Jesus. All the way back, all the way forward, all the way up to the man in the pulpit. And we just started reading them. Oh my, I would have never thought that person did that. I would have never thought that person did that. But you and I are forgiven. Read on what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 now. Verse 11, such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. That's what God offers to us. The story of Judas is a sad, sad story. But it's a reminder of what we are. On your outlines, in your bulletin, I've got this little saying here. It's in a little box. I encourage you to cut that out. Tape it on your mirror in your bathroom. Tape it in your Bible. Because it's a good reminder. You're never too dirty for God to cleanse. Never. Well, you don't know what I did. Doesn't matter what you did. Doesn't matter how many times you did it. You are never too dirty for God to cleanse. 
You're never too broken for God to fix. Never. Well, man, I've really, I've, I've really messed up things. My kids won't talk to me because of what I did. I have a mate that left me because of the way I did. You are never too broken for God to fix. You are never too far gone for God to reach. And some people think, well, you know what? He can't get to me because, you know, I, I, I'm too far gone. No, you're not. You're never too guilty for God to forgive. That's where Judas was. So sorry, so empty, so guilty, he went out and hung himself. There is no other option. The only option is I don't deserve to live here, so I'm going to take my life. Romans don't like me. Jews don't like me. The own disciples don't like me. I bet if Jesus could say it, he would say he doesn't like me. But that's not the case. Jesus loves all of us. You're not too guilty for God to forgive. You're, not too, you're never too worthless for God to love. And then you're never too worthless, it says. Never. Never. You see that? That's the lesson of Judas. That's the lesson we need to see and appreciate. And that's the lesson we need to understand about this. The life of Judas is in our Bible for multiple reasons. It's a historical story that tells us what happens. But more than a historical story, it tells us about a person who is so close to Jesus. Can you imagine hearing the tone of Jesus' voice? There's a time in Mark 4 where there's a storm. And the storm was so severe, they thought they were going to die. And Jesus was awakened. And he says, peace, be still, and the storm stopped. Another occasion, there's another storm. They don't have Jesus this time. He's walking on the water coming toward them. They're scared. They say it's a ghost because no one walks on water. And Jesus says, it is I. He didn't say, I'm Jesus. I'm the one you follow. I am the master. It is I. And I think they heard that voice. That's Jesus. Can you imagine being so close to Jesus? Can you imagine seeing all these things we read about in the Gospels, all those miracles, how fantastic they were? Can you imagine hearing those powerful, powerful words? When people are trying to trick him, he gets out of that. When people expect him to condemn, he forgives. When people think he's going to throw the book, he offers grace. So close to Jesus. But he didn't get it. And I wonder sometimes, could that be me? Could that be you? So close to Jesus. Every week we're singing these hymns. In my house I have his words. And we do all these things. But when I look at my life, when I look at my choices, when I look at my attitude, am I walking like Jesus? You see, it's one thing to take that old Bible from Latin and put it in English. That's impressive. It's more impressive to take that Bible and put it in our hearts and become what God wants us to be. And so that's our lesson for us today. Makes us think about, doesn't it? Makes us realize just because I sit in the church building doesn't mean I'm going to heaven. Just because I'm sitting in the church building and all my neighbors are still in bed right now, I'm better than they are. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Just because I got up, put on a tie, put on a dress, whatever you put on, and I came down here this morning, you know, I'm up there. I have to be right up there. No, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It's reflected by not my location, but my heart. What's in my heart? Do I walk with Jesus? This morning, if you're not a Christian, don't you want to become one? Don't you realize that 
I need to be right beside Jesus. I need to be so close that I can touch him. When trials come up, I'm not afraid because right there's Jesus. When it's my time to go through that door of death, I'm not as scared because right there's Jesus. Everywhere, there's Jesus. That's going to shape my attitude. That's going to change my decisions. That's going to shape everything about me. It's Jesus. So close. But he just didn't get it. How about you? If you're subject, why don't you come as we stand, as we sing.